There's a dance that bumblebees do to communicate the location of pollen and nectar to other members of the, of the hive. And uh, they call it the Spencil Dance. And he went on and on about this beautiful direction dance that they did to help the other worker bees, you know, find, know, whatever, the, find pollen. the pollen, the direction of the pollen. And uh, he said, you know, I've given you the best shot that I have, but you know, there may be a God behind this after all. Welcome to Story Shaped. I'm Matt Price. In this episode, you're going to get to hear the story of my friend Paul Gibson. Sometimes we can keep God in a tiny little box, and we can be surprised to find that our God operates far outside of that box. Paul Gibson's story highlights the far-reaching and practical love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you hear his story, you'll be encouraged to believe that the gospel reaches further and deals with issues in our lives and in our culture and our society that perhaps lie outside of the box that you have placed God in. Let's jump in. So, Paul, so glad to have this time with you. Um, thanks for doing this with me. Oh, you're welcome. Glad and, to be here. Uh, I'm so grateful for our friendship. Egomente, as my wife would say. Take us back. Where does your story begin? My story begins in Beantown, USA, Boston, Massachusetts, where I was born in 1946. Boston. Yep, and shortly after I was born, my mom got out of the hospital and took me home to Cambridge. Okay. And, uh... Now, when I hear Cambridge, I think of Harvard. Yep. Is that true of those who live in Cambridge, or is that more those of us who don't live there? That's our perception. How... How much does Harvard play in that town? Harvard plays very much, just like USC plays big here in LA. Mm -hmm. USC in LA, Caltech in Pasadena area. Mm -hmm. Well, Harvard and MIT play really bigly, big in the Boston, Cambridge area, okay. Cambridge, Boston area. Um, and what was family life growing up? Uh, family life for me was as I'm reflecting back on it now, and I've, I've been grateful to have a chance to look at my, my family background. Um, I come from an intact family of uh, five. I'm the baby of three boys. Okay. Um, my dad <clears throat> never graduated high school, um, but early on in his life, he got connected with the God his father preached about. Mm because my dad's father was an itinerant preacher, wow. or back in the day, circuit riding preacher. Yes. Um, I'm not sure what his occupation was other than an elevator operator. Okay. And he was born in Winsboro, South Carolina, so I'm sure there were no elevators in Winsboro. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he interned to Charleston, maybe, but not Winsboro, for sure. Um, this is your grandfather. My grandfather, yeah, my, my, my father's 
my dad's dad. And as an itinerant preacher, was he affiliated with a certain church? I'm not sure. Okay. I mean, yes, he was. Okay. But uh, the the only association that I have is the Old Time Methodists, mm -hmm. which was one of the churches that we used to attend when I was really young. Okay. And I think that had some kind of, um, my grandma, grandfather may have had some kind of association with the right. Old Time Methodists. Okay. Yeah, when I hear circuit writing, I think of Methodists. Yeah. So we were always in church, um, had cottage prayer meeting in our house. Um, cottage prayer? Yeah. What was, was a cottage prayer meeting? Um, a, it was a term they used to in-home prayer meetings. So I see. During the week, there'd be my aunt would come over, some other people from the church that they were affiliated with, and just pray. Pray together. Yeah. And I... You know, I didn't know what they were doing. I mean, I knew what they were doing, but it was I was sure. so young and everything like that. It was like, okay, this is prayer meeting time, college right. prayer meeting. So it wasn't at the church house. Right. It was at, at, at our home. In those days, when the college prayer meetings were taking place at the house, it was um, an old-time Methodist church in Waltham, which is another suburb further out okay. um, from Boston. But my recollection from, like, middle elementary school years we started affiliating with the church closer to home which was in Somerville which is adjacent town to Cambridge it was a church of Nazarene oh okay great West Somerville Church of Nazarene holiness tradition sure you know hardcore oh yeah serious legalism <laughs> oh yeah um, that's the Nazarenes I, I mean I know this wasn't uncommon among churches but particularly the nazarenes had a lot of don'ts correct don't smoke don't chew i'll go i'll go with girls that do right yeah. right and uh it was so bad that when i was growing up and you know you know your 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 when i had a cousin whose parents would go down to the cape mm. um and they had a they got to know a, a, a single or inveterate bachelor attorney uh -huh. african-american guy mm -hmm. and they would help him in his summer cottage you know my mom would do the cooking and da 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 and um, the kids would go down on the weekend you know and they had two sons and i'd go down from time to time to be with my cousin and one day my dad came down with us on a saturday and what do kids do at the beach they play games, sure. right? And one of the games is go fish. Oh, yeah. So I'm not fishing in the lake, but, you know, no, the card game. Cards. So my cousin and I are playing go fish, and my dad comes along and takes the cards and throws them in the trash. They're the devil's fingers. Oh. They're the devil's fingers. <laughs> you know, here you are, eight years old, ten years old. You know, oh, yeah. You, know, you have no so. idea you've done anything <laughs> right, wrong, right, 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 right. Oh, yeah, I had friends growing up in the Baptist Church that uh, now by my generation it, things were loosening up but their parents cards were absolutely off limits yep. but what, what I found so funny is they would play this domino game I can't remember what it's called now but it's basically a card game but played with dominoes mm -hmm. Because you could play with dominoes, but not cards for some reason. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so that was, you know, sort of my background. And, you know, I, my dad and mom were active in the church, you know, typical 
Sunday morning service, evening service for the young adults, and then after that was a seven o'clock service for the adults and the rest of the family, and then midweek prayer service. A lot so, of church. A lot of expectation to take church very seriously. Did you? Oh, yeah. Um, I was licensed to preach in the high school. Wow. And um, Licensed by your the local, local church? Yeah, local church. Mm -hmm. And um, So growing up in the holiness tradition, you would have had ample opportunity for uh, invitation to salvation, right. conversion yeah. moments, yeah. as well as, uh, I would imagine, moments of seeking sanctification. Yep. And yep. Tell me a little All bit that. about that. <laughs> what was that like for you, Paul? As I look back on it, it was, uh, I don't know what it was like. I felt like I was on a roller coaster in one way because the person I am, I think I'm pretty sensitive. And so almost every time they made an altar call, I'd want to go forward, you know, because I got mad at my mom or, you know, yeah. whatever. And I used to say... Play that, with cards right, at the right, beach. Right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> play with cards at the beach. And it, by the time I got to high school, I got tired of walking back and forth to the altar. You know, really, because I said, there's a goat trail from my seat up to the altar, you know, oh, and, then wow. it, and it was like... Tired of it. Yeah, I mean, it's like, come on, you know, nobody else was doing it, just as me and some couple of young people and, you know, all the all the older folks were telling, saying their testimony, I'm saved and sanctified, I mean, it proved true to him. Mm. Well, so like they had arrived. Right. And here I'm still struggling and growing and da da da, -da. Right, right. So I... Um, I uh, I kind of started checking out, I mean, even sure. though I had been licensed to preach and, you know, preach once or twice at my home church, I was checking out on God mm -hmm. or what I've come to call Jesus Christ. I'm checking out on Jesus, checking out on Jesus Christ, some of my denomination, mm. you know, because it was just, uh, I couldn't go to the... Uh, I carried my Bible to school just because I thought I should. But when it came time for senior activities like senior prom, my pastor said I couldn't go to the prom unless I took the opportunity to preach and deliver a gospel message. Wow. Because I was the president of my high school class and you know when you're president of the class you go to the prom and you do whatever and you yeah. you know but and I elected not to go to the prom. Wow. Because I hadn't been a Bible thumper. Sure. Uh, anyway, so I, I elected not to go to the prom my senior year. I can only you know. imagine that, that the, the weariness of performing like that either, yep. either leads someone to say, enough, I, I can't, I just can't anymore, or it leads someone to pretend they can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we had done all the right things. I mean, I was. My parents had a high standard. You know, you go to school every day. You're never absent. You know, you do your homework. You live a clean life. Blah 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 blah. Our church was a mixed church, racially mixed church, predominantly white. Uh, my mom and dad were leaders in the church. My mom was in the missionary society. My dad was a Sunday school teacher. Um, but there came a time when our other members, other women 
who were members of the uh, Missionary Society doing missionary baskets and it came up about interracial dating. Mm -hmm. And one of the women on the Missionary Society said, you know, that's not biblical, da 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 I can't do this. And my mom said, you mean you tell me it's okay for us to wrap packages and send missionary baskets and barrels to Africans overseas, but my boys aren't good enough for your girls? Wow. So my mom stopped going to the church. Wow. And she went to another church where her mom went. Okay. Um, when did she actually voice that? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. She actually voiced that in that meeting, and then when and it was not well received. No, no, they just. And she know. knew it. It wouldn't be yeah, well received. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I, I say that most time we hear the strong black women statement. It's kind of like. There's something wrong with a woman who's strong and black. Mm. And so she's, you know, but my mom was a strong black woman. Sure. And she had an opinion of her own. Sure. And she didn't, she had three sons. Yes. And here we've been at this church for all, all these uh, all, years. All these years, and interracial dating's not okay. Right. And my brother experienced that same thing at the college he went to as well. So, uh, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, but only so far. Right. By the time I graduated high school and, and went to college, uh, by summer after senior year, it was like, pfft. I went to church, but eh. I, was, I was looking for something else. I couldn't, I didn't know where to look, um, you know, where to go, you go to church, you know. That's, mm -hmm. uh, um, but I thank God for um, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, because when they... Uh, when I was living in the freshman dorms at Harvard, they came around and introduced themselves and said, hey, welcome to Harvard, you know, we're here, we want to let you know that we're a senior, we're upperclassmen and, you know, do this, don't do that, what are you, what are you what's your major going to be, blah, 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 blah. And um, we have a meeting on Friday night at Phyllis Brooks' house. Hmm. And if you're interested, come on over. And... Um, that was an easy invitation for you to yeah, answer. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, you know, interesting, Matt. It, it um, I got over there, and I heard these kids talking about movies they had gone to, or some of them had gone to mixers, you know, dancers on campus. And I said, "What? <laughs> yeah, I These... thought this was a Christian club on campus. Right? What's going you know, on here? Christians going to movies." <laughs> which I never could do when I growing up. Christians going to dances, I never could do that when I was coming, you know, couldn't even go to my prom for goodness sakes right. without preaching to everybody. Um, but they're reading the Bible and they're talking about Jesus and looking at the stories of Jesus and, you know, okay, what does this mean for my life and how do I get to know Jesus better? And it's like, whoa. Wow. So during my years at was it exciting? Do you remember, or was it frightening? Was it confusing? What was that? It like? was. It gave me hope. Okay. Um, because I knew something was wrong with what was happening at my home church. You know, yeah. the anti, you know, the the racist stuff. Right. You know, all the legalism. You know, right. innocent kids playing a card game and it gets thrown in the trash. Right. You know. Yeah, I can understand my dad his perspective holding his tradition. Sure. You know, I understand that. Now that I understand it. Right. But back then I was chafing against it in mm -hmm. some ways. Um, but to see these guys from Harvard, it was it was mostly 
males who came to our mm. our dorm. Yeah, it was only males who came because you know back in those days Harvard mm -hmm. was Radcliffe was over here, the girls were over here, and the boys were over here. Um, but these guys are telling me, you know, you can listen to, you can uh, go to the movies and still know Jesus. <laughs> and we're serious about. It. I mean, they're doing evangelism basically, yeah. and they go to the movies. What? <laughs> and I began to see that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, not the Son of my denomination. Wow. Yeah. And that wow. was that was that was hope for me. That was exciting. That was gave me some room to breathe. Yes. And then people at my home church would, didn't want me to go to Harvard because they said if he goes to the secular school, he's going to lose his faith. And I remember I was in a uh, freshman biology class they called NatSci 5, Natural Sciences 5. And this um, George Wald, he was a Nobel Prize laureate. And he gave to all the different theories of evolution and you know mm. creation and mm. I mean not you know how man how we came to be mm. and he said you know I give you the Big Bang Theory I give you this I give you that and you know something intrigues me there's a dance that bumblebees do to communicate the location of pollen and nectar to other members of the of the hive and uh, they call it the Spencer dance and he went on and on about this beautiful direction dance that they did to help the other worker bees, you know, find, know, whatever, the, pollen. find the pollen, the direction of the pollen. And uh, he said, you know, I've given you the best shot that I have, but you know, there may be a God behind this after all. Wow. <laughs> and I'm saying here in the pit of liberalism, as they would say at my home church, yes. this guy's giving room supposed to believe in God and he's kind of excited about this elaborate detailed dance that bumblebees do right and he's basically saying in my ears he was saying it just can't be a function of chance and time yes there may be some you know reason uh, intelligent source behind all this kind of stuff so, so your understanding of God is just exploding yeah. larger and larger. It's getting magnified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I, I just, you know, so... so It I, can't fit in the denomination. Right, it just couldn't, you know. I mean, you know, you get the whole anti-evolution thing going on from my church and, you know, all these different people, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you get this guy who's a noble priest, I mean, a, a prize in science and whatever, and he's excited about the possibility of God. And his and, and and this 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 bumblebee, how many insects are there in creation? You know, and he's he's getting up like he was kind of standing in awe wow. of this bumblebee dance. You know, wow. wow. And that you know made me excited because I was thinking about going to medical school. Da 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 da. Okay. And I could study biology and da, da, da. anyway. So um, so what do you do with this kind of newfound excitement about? A big guy. I just keep doing, hanging out with the kids at, at college and, and the IB group, and going to conferences. I've got involved in conferences and uh, sharing a little bit of faith on campus with other people, and you know. And you were convinced at this point that 
you were convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Mm-hmm. You're convinced of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So when you're hearing about um, God being so much bigger than you knew God to be in your home church, there wasn't kind of a question of uh, maybe God is someone someone else or some other story. Mm-hmm. You, you had faith that rooted it in the gospel. Yeah, yeah, it, and all my, uh, I should say, most of, a lot of my experiences at college just reinforced um, the validity of Christian faith. I mean, I grew up in the 60s. Sure. So you get Martin Luther King marching for civil rights, and it's all in the context of biblical justice. Yes. And nonviolence. He was, irrespective of his shortcomings, he was standing firmly in Christian Christian tradition. Yes. And believed in a God who could help us overcome, believe right. in a God, you know, who tell us to love and not hate, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And um, so all that contributed to my, I would say, uh, deepening my faith, deepening mm-hmm. my belief in God. Mm-hmm. And yes, he's a God of justice. Yes, there's going to be a day of reckoning. And, and even strengthening your devotion to, to Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ivy conferences were good things, prayer partners were good things, you know, I mean, here I'm at Harvard with a prayer partner. <laughs> so you're headed for medical school yep. at that point? Dental school. My mom wanted me, me to be a dentist. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a good Nazarene dentist. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, a bunch of things happened in the later 60s when uh, this fellow who was a freshman when I got to Harvard, he challenged me to go to Urbana in 1967. And um, just... And Urbana... Urbana is InterVarsity's missionary conference, big missionary convention, all these, you know, people who want to follow Jesus go to this and uh, hear the call to God, da 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 Number one, I didn't want to go because I usually make money. So you'd work during the summer makes some yeah. money. I worked during the summer and I worked during Christmas vacation. And uh, I had some, you know, things lined up for Christmas vacation, so I didn't want to, you know, give up my Christmas vacation for making money. Well, he says, you know, uh, typical Christian strategy. You just pray about it and maybe if God wants you there, you send the registration in and God will take care of it. Well, like a good Christian kid I listened to the challenge but I told him I didn't want to go because all my experience with missionaries previously were white old ladies who would come and talk about the shrunken skulls <laughs> and the savages that they used to do ministry with right and I'm saying I don't want someone jumping in my chest and pulling my heart out and making me sign up to go to Bongo Bongo land that was how I'd <laughs> But I was thinking about going to dental school, as I said, but I've also been licensed to preach and was trying to wrestle with my faith and Mm -hmm. how I express it and stuff like that. So my InterVarsity staff worker and his wife invited me over to dinner one day and they said, you know, Paul, you're vacillating between medical school, dental school and, and, and ministry and stuff like that. So tell you what. There's a white guy I know 
who last year after he graduated college, he took a trial year in seminary and Rockefeller paid for it. So why don't you talk to him and ask him if that's something you could do. So uh, the Rockefeller Foundation was having this thing called trial year, mm -hmm. trial year fellowship, a trial year program. And it was for kids who finished their bachelors and didn't know whether they wanted to go to ministry, seminary or whatever, right. divinity school. So by the time I got around to asking the question, I found out that I could, that Rockefeller and the Sea Atlantic Fund were funding the same experience, a similar experience for African Americans after their junior year. Okay. Because the average black parent doesn't want their son or daughter to go off to some trial year right. after they spend all this money getting through four years of college. Right. So they want them to do something or go on to graduate school, but not just to play around and find themselves. So the leadership of these funding sources said, hey, yeah, let's do it after junior year. And then the person can um, finish up their senior year and decide going to medical school or going to divinity school. And uh, there are about 16 African-American guys, including myself, who spent summer of 67 at Harvard Divinity School. Oh. And I met a bunch of guys who were caught up in the movement, some sons of Black Panthers, some, you know, uh, old sons of old-time Methodist preachers like my grandfather. Right. And everything in between. Wow. So... What was Harvard Divinity School like in 1967 with that mixture going on? It was, I, I, here again, it was another thing that helped my faith. Sure. Because um, I took a course, an Old Testament course with G. Ernest Wright, and um, his book was, uh, one of his major books was, um, uh, that I was exposed to, Book of the Acts of God. Hmm. And he was into archaeology. And he's going back doing all this biblical archaeology stuff and said, oh yes, this really did happen, and this really did happen, the walls of Jericho, and then, and, talk, and then talk about people who are with him right now as graduate students doing archaeological digs. So I'm saying, what? The Bible has real historical roots, and it's archaeological wow. stuff, and it's like, you know, so take G. Ernest Wright along with George Wald, who said maybe there's a God behind all this kind of stuff. Yes. At Harvard. All right. You know, this bastion of liberalism and losing yeah. faith kind of stuff, yeah. according to my home church, I'm getting these people to help me understand that there is some historical, some historicity yes. to my faith. To and the even science. Yeah, and science, you know. So I'm excited about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a typical kid, you know, dating girls in the summer and whatever, whatever, whatever. But by the end of that summer, summer of 67, I um, felt it was God to call me into ministry. And uh, then my friend challenged me to go to Urbana 67, which right. was in December, and got to Urbana 67 and found out out of the 5,000 plus students who were there, there were only 100 blacks. Wow. Maybe 125, I don't know. I was like, there's something wrong with this picture. And was that representative of inner varsity at that time? Probably. I mean, there were only, when I was at Harvard, there were only two African Americans in the, in the fellowship. Well, when I got there, I was the second one. I think there were only about, 100 and, about 150 African Americans in the whole college when I was there. And it was the beginning of the African American, you know, some bubbling up of the, along with the civil rights movement and black power movement and all that kind of stuff. 
But what happened at Urbana was, like I said, there were very few African Americans. In 1967, there was a lot of civil rights talk and black yeah. powers talk and black theology talk. And there were, as far as I recall, there were no African Americans on the pulpit wow. at, at Urbana. And needless to say, we started complaining. We claim, I mean, some of the African American students who met each other and da 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 da. -da. And one of the, a uh, couple of the older, the senior, pa senior members of the African American community, black pastors, one guy was from Moody Bible Institute. Mm. He was at Urbana and representing Moody Bible in college and stuff like that. Um, he hung out with us one night. We had a meeting. He said, You know, you guys got to pray. So we developed in that short period of time a thing called the Ad Hoc Committee on Missions and Race. Hmm. And during that time, we decided that we needed to talk to the leadership at CA, I mean, at uh, Urbana in diversity and say, we're not happy with this, what we see. And simultaneous with us, the African students were saying that they said the same thing. Wow. And they wrote a list of resolutions. Back in the day, it was resolutions, resolutions, resolutions. So they wrote a list of resolutions that the leadership agreed should be read from the pulpit. So they did read that from the pulpit. And then um, InterVarsity said, you know, well, you guys are right. You analyzed the problem real well. What are you going to do about it? And none of us was completing a degree program that year except for me. So when it came to what are you going to do about it, None of the guys, other folks were willing to abandon a degree program just to come on into varsity staff. Right. So you were ready to I, go. I was the I was the likely guy to throw my hat in the ring and go west, young man. Summer of uh, summer of '68, I came up. My first assignment was on a Catalina Island, a campus by the sea. Wow. Yeah. So so let me. Uh, you grow up in this Christian family. You know the gospel. You know Jesus. You go to Harvard, God helps you to think so much bigger about him. And through that experience, you begin to think maybe God's calling me to ministry. Maybe I'm supposed to be a pastor or do something like that. But you have, along with this calling to ministry, you have also the reality that God has made you an African-American man. Right, right. And those two realities dovetail at this critical moment mm -hmm. in, in our nation's history. Mm -hmm. uh, what does it mean for me to be in ministry? What does it mean for me to be a black man? Mm -hmm. God, help me to put these two things together yeah, yeah. for your kingdom. Yeah, and I would say also a black man who grew up in predominantly white church. Yeah. Who, found, who, who experienced some of the stuff that Northern New Englanders' attitudes had about African Americans. Right. You know, so I chuckle at God's sense of humor <laughs> because, like I, you know, I said, I grew up in Massachusetts, number one. It's the great North, you know. Right. Uh, I grew up in New England, which is, you know, we drink more tea in New England than you know, they do in the continent, right? <laughs> in Britain, for goodness sake, United Kingdom. Um, Boston Tea Party, a whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. um, so, my neighborhood was was uh, racially integrated. 
All the schools I went to were racially integrated, predominantly white. Um, and here I am now, the, seemingly being called to work in a predominantly white organization that's Christian, shares the same faith I do and all that. Right. But there was lack of representation of yeah. African Americans. I think I was the only third or fourth ever African American to work to work for InterVarsity and Campus Ministry wow. up until that time. And they started back in the 40s. Wow. So so God takes you to Long Beach. Yep. To Catalina. Yep. Catalina was my first uh, summer assignment. And then after Catalina, Campus by the Sea was over, of course, kids went back to college. Uh -huh. and I was working in Long Beach. Uh, the Long Beach area because that's where... Um, some of the staff out here were, were were thinking about interacting with people of color. I see. So they even had a the, the beginnings of a conference called ABC, uh, Asians, Blacks, and Chicanos. Mm. And one of the staff, a guy named Paul Beyer, was really instrumental in getting that going. And he was uh, one of the staff who lived out this way, worked out this way, had a history of dealing with integration of schools in Pasadena because his kids were involved in wow. the integration of the schools. Um, so ABC was an effort to reach beyond white. Right, right. And, uh, you know, the Chicanos, we called Chicanos back then. Asians were doing their Asian-American thing. Blacks were doing our black thing in right. terms of all that civil How rights. How integrate? Part, yeah. And he had the brain idea to bring us all together from time to time. And then there was a group at a fledgling group at Cal State Dominguez Hills. Uh, a couple of the IV alums who were on the faculty there wanted to see black students get a ministry going. Another guy was on the faculty at LA Southwest College, wanted to see something going over there. And then another guy was on the faculty at uh, Compton College, they wanted to see IV get there. What did you learn in that whole experience? I learned that, I'll put it this way. So. I saw, well, as I look back on it, I saw some progress. Didn't, I wouldn't say there wasn't anything like Broadway, ticket, Broadway parade, ticket tape parade, but what happened was I, was I was doing good enough work that when the students in New York City started saying, you don't have any blacks out here, you don't have any Puerto Ricans, you don't have anybody who looks like us. Wow. So they were saying that in New York. And the up, uh, echelon leadership said, well, we only got one black guy in the country. <laughs> we got to move this guy around. <laughs> so we got to transfer him to New York because, you know, L.A., Long Beach, Compton, Dominguez Hills wasn't just bubbling with uh, success. Yeah, I see. And there's already kids over here already doing stuff. They're going to conferences. They're calling, you know, they're involved in the chapters at several different schools, and there are a significant number of them. Were you glad to head back to the Northeast? Um, actually, I was uh, was somewhat with trepidation, yes, because I have family in New York. But by that time, I had uh, met a young woman mm. and at Cal State Long Beach. She was a graduate student. And initially, I asked her to come on and partner with me doing staff, you know, working with the younger kids. And then a romantic relationship developed out of that, and she was white. Mm. 
So it's like, here's this black man going back to work with black students and Puerto Ricans and Chicanos, I mean, uh, Chinese folks and others in, in, in New York, and they've got a white girlfriend. So I was a little bit, you know, apprehensive about that dimension. Back in those days, we'd say, he raps black but sleeps white. Oh, wow. Well, she had worked at the Billy Graham World's Fair Pavilion in New York. Okay. In the 64 World's Fair, I believe. Mm -hmm. And she ended up staying in New York City and getting involved in a church. And she did some teaching at Queens College. And she taught African art history. Wow. Well, wouldn't you know, some of the IB kids <laughs> that I met had her... Had, oh, had her as an instructor. Yeah. So it was kind of like, okay, he's married. He's talking. He's sleeping white, but <laughs> she talks African stuff. She teaches African art history. She da da da. da. So yeah. she was. So it was challenging yeah. them as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a good way. Right. Yes. And uh, you know, but but God had prepared that, set that up, because they had a positive interaction with her sure. as young black Christian students, looking at. African art positively rather right. than just what we were taught about savagery. Yes. And they saw her faith, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so it was a good, it was just like I said, God is so, uh, is so, uh, so much bigger. Yes, again. Than we can think. You know, here, it, before I even met the woman, she'd already been living in New York and going to church and meeting these kids. So you guys get married? Yes. In yeah. New York? No, actually, um, we we scared a bunch of people in 1970. Um, her parents, we met them. They're wonderful. I met them. They're wonderful people. Da 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 da. Um, her dad didn't think she was ready to get married yet. Okay. So he wasn't going to give her away. And her mom said, "I'm not. I'm going to support my husband." And. My parents said, well, we're not going to get into an in-law fight because if her parents aren't going to give her away, then we're not going to, you know, we support you, but we're not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. So she was still on the West Coast and I was still on the East Coast. And we said, what are we going to do? We decided to get married at Urbana 70. No. Oh. <laughs> Because we had recruited a lot of black students to Meet go to Urbana. in the middle of the country. Yeah. We, we um, had a long-term relationship from the time I left New York, a long-distance relationship. But um, I, was, I went to Urbana 67, like I said. And then the next year Urbana was coming up was Urbana 70. And we wanted some more black representation. So we, the guys who were on the ad hoc committee for missions and race... Some of us knew Tom Skinner, some of us, da, 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 da. I was working in New York City, Tom Skinner, the evangelist, was doing a lot of good stuff. So we asked him and his songs man, Bill Pinnell, to be part of Urbana 70. Tom Skinner had a group called Soul for Liberation. Okay. So we appealed to IV to have that group do music at Urbana, along okay. with some of the other Anglo music. And did you mention Bill Pinnell? Yeah. Was so, he in that music yeah. group? Bill Pinnell was Bill Pinnell was Tom Skinner's George Beverly Shea. Oh wow. Yeah, like Billy Graham and Bev George yes, Beverly Shea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Bill Pinnell was Tom Skinner's George Beverly Shea. Amazing. Yeah. 
That's, I so, didn't know that about yeah. him. I I never uh, had the privilege of taking a class of his, but he was still teaching at Fuller. In fact, I believe when I was there, it was probably he was winding down. Mm -hmm. He would only teach maybe once a year he'd offer a class. Yeah. So anyway, we, we decided, Melody and I decided to get married at Urbana. Okay. 70. Surprise, and, surprise. And uh, we asked Bill Purnell to perform the ceremony. Whoa! And all the kids from Soul Liberation were there. and every, Not everybody, but a lot of black students, they disappeared at one point <laughs> uh, the night before <laughs> the communion service. And we were married then, and then we went back and had communion New Year's Eve. And um, Wow. Yeah, so it was... And where'd you go from there? Well, after we got married, she came to New York. Okay. And we um, lived and worked for IV in New York from uh, nine, as a couple, 1970 to 1976. Wow, okay, six years. And, yeah, so I came on in 68. I did a year and a half, almost two years by myself, and then Melody came on with me and we did 70 to 76. And through that time, God brought up an entity called Black Campus Ministry. We recruited some more black staff. Um, so you you saw some fruit of those prayers. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think about InterVarsity has a whole haystack, you yes. know, prayer meeting. And Ben Johnson and Reggie Wimbush said, "You guys got to pray. You got to pray." Right. And we see God using that imperfect college kid, right. bright bushy tail, black power guys. Yeah, okay, we'll pray. <laughs> and God birthed Black Campus Ministry out of that, which is still going on. And um, I'm just so excited because my oldest brother and his wife are, have befriended a kid who's now a sophomore at Harvard. And as I was talking to my brother and sister a couple of weeks ago, they said, oh yeah, so-and-so came out early. He came out to do this intervars. He came out to do this Christian conference thing. And I said, what kind of Christian conference? Oh, some intervarsity thing. Wow. And here it is, how many years later. That's fruit of yeah. your labor. Yeah, and this guy, his parents wanted him to get, you know, keep his faith going on, and they introduced him to my brother and his wife so they could be kind of family oh, away from cool. home. And now he's doing leadership at Harvard, you that know. It's like fantastic. <laughs> yes, thank wow. you, God. God is you know, good. He is big. You know, he is big. <laughs> You know, it's just, I mean, I could go on out the story after story after story, but... So how'd you get back onto the West Coast? Oh, my goodness. Well, if you knew what was going on among white parachurch organizations back in the 60s, the ones that I saw, especially the ones at the college level, they were getting these black converts, and they were using them, what I would say, as... Exhibit A to do evangelistic work on the different campuses. Hmm. So they give their testimony and the da 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 testimony da 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 and then they'd leave. Okay. This is my perspective. It may not have been accurate, but it was my perspective. And then two years later, where are these guys? Oh. So I said, hmm, seems like these other organizations are burning out these black new converts. Yes. And I'd been on staff by that point. Um, 76, eight years. 
and I had been in the trenches, you know, front lines, and I had finished a bachelor's program, master's, a bachelor's degree, so I'm, I'm seeing all the other guys get burned out. Right. I'm saying to my supervisor, you know, I don't want you guys to burn me out. Plus, I see all these white kids who came on into varsity staff, and they came on staff for two, three, four years, and then they went on to graduate school. And IV had a, what they had, a sabbatical year program. They had study years and this and that. So I, um, my supervisor agreed, yeah, she probably should go get more credentials. And I decided to come out to Fuller. Mm. Uh, what was it about Fuller that, uh, that, that appealed to you? Uh, what appealed to me at Fuller was Lou Smeets and his social ethics. Okay. Because you know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, I'm still involved in biblical justice, civil right. rights issues, you know, overcoming some of the injustices of historic, in the church even. Uh, I was going to go to, originally I was going to go to Yale Divinity School. Okay. But since my wife lived out here, her parents were out here, okay. we decided to go to the West Coast because my people, you know, my folks on the East Coast had seen the kids. Right. Uh, seen us and our oldest son, for our firstborn, for a while on yeah, the East so Coast. Yeah, lived near her. So we come out there near her family in Loose Meads. I did some little little bit of work and researching the place. I think they had gotten one or two black board members by that point that I knew. Okay. Through the National Black Evangelical Association or another con connection, so that's why I came out to Fuller. Um, then I went back on staff part time. Worked at Oxy, PCC, uh, Cal State, LA, and did a bunch of other different things with IV staff until I left because I was going to go on the pastoral staff at a church in this area as a community pastor. Wow. Which church was that? Uh, it remained rename, nameless because it never happened. Okay. Um, they decided to keep the white interim pastor okay and uh and was it a predominantly white church? predominantly white church was it the church that you were part of at that time? no i no, was a part was of ca at that time. okay you already yeah. started coming to yeah. christian assembly we came to christian assembly in 79 but i knew some people who were supporters of intervarsity and knew paul Byer and all that they were saying hey this guy's got some stuff maybe we could use it here we're trying to cut some new ground and yeah the community and but the leadership decided yeah, not don't yeah. do it. So I, I I don't know. I have my speculations as to why, but sure. You know, God works in other ways. Okay. So. Yeah. So you go off staff though still or Yeah, yeah, say, yeah. Yeah. I went off staff in sixty um Eight. my my plan was to go off in eighty three. Right. Because one of the board members of this church and I were in conversation with Paul Byron, we were in prayer and all that kind of stuff and so after the thing didn't work with the church, he was apologetic and sad, but he said, I want you to do this. I want you to work with uh, World Vision US and do some research and I see. stop in the community and find out what needs to happen. So you went to work for World Vision yeah. in 83? A, 80, it was 84. Out of that came John Perkins and Door of Hope. And How did you get into your current role? I, a few transitions occurred over the years. And... Um, Went through a divorce after Washington, I mean, after San Francisco, 83, our third child was born on Valentine's Day, 84, and my wife 
had a terrible labor I mean, delivery and ended up, from my perspective as a man, having some postpartum phenomena. Mm -hmm. And I became persona non grata, uh, took another little break, taught in public school for a while with special ed. A lot of the community in the school were antagonistic to each other. Mm. And there were people coming in volunteering, not volunteering, they were coming into the classroom helping out behavior problems in special ed, but they were being paid by outside nonprofits. I see. And I said, I want to see what I can do to help get the community, the school, and bring this other component in so that we could community, school, church, and help education all the way around. And uh, I requested a leave of absence. Start, uh, yeah. And she said, yes, go do your research and find out. So I went to one of the agencies in town that was doing this in-class placement with adults who help behavior, and that was Hathaway Sycamores. Ah. And um, I went to tell them what I was interested in doing, and I ran into a guy I used to go to church with. He was assistant director of what they call Therapeutic Behavioral Services. And Tim Tucker said, I thought you were teaching at Jumeir High School. I said, no, I'm on a leave of absence so I can go do this research and find out how to fix the problem. He said, oh, I don't want you to do any more research. I want you to come work for us because we got the solution. <laughs> That's what you wanted to hear. Yeah. So I said, what? And, um, and then the person who interviewed me was the VP over that department. Turns out she and I used to go to the same church, and I used to play racquetball with her husband. <laughs> you know, your story, even like a small thing like that, over and over again, sounds like the story of God just is so big. Yeah. He's bigger than one kind of people, he's bigger than one kind of church, he's bigger than one kind of problem. And when you encounter a challenge, whether it's your own challenge, or you observe someone else who's challenged, God has shown you, I'm big enough for that. Amen. You haven't even yet found out that I have solutions for that situation as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, your story of life with God has spanned one side of the country to the other. It's, it's stretches beyond ethnic walls, denominational walls, uh, generational you're a man who's working with youth and children and you just keep encountering challenges and God keeps showing you how how big he is yeah now I want to share one little story okay okay while I was at John Muir High School there was a man African-American who had a daughter at John Muir and he's getting ready to retire Long and short of it is, the principal says to him, you know, I need somebody to work with my boys. So this man felt the call. He's not a Christian. I mean, he's not a churchgoer. Yeah, I can help you with do that. I can do, give me something to do when I retire. His name is Tecumseh Shackleford. He used to work at DWP. He decided to develop a mentoring program called Mentoring Partnership for Youth Development. And that was, let's see, 
almost 20 years ago. He asked me to be one of his mentors. So I started mentoring with this young kid. We ran into the same kind of problems that all people run into with mentors, mentoring high school kids. But Shaq stuck with it, stuck with it, stuck with it, stuck with it, stuck with it. He got a partnership going with Young Life. We would take these kids from John Muir, Northwest Pasadena, down to Oak Bridge and do weekend retreats with them. They'd come back. Anyway, he got started getting them jobs. Da, 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 da. He's still working. Uh, the program's still going on. And I'm going to have lunch with him today. Oh, With awesome. another, another white guy <laughs> who feels called to help do mentoring in Pasadena with Tay Age Youth, Transition Age Youth. Wonderful. Same population I work with. Right. And I said to this white guy, I said, dude, you got to honor the local people. Mm. Shaq's been doing this for 20 years. Right. You're Johnny come lately. Yes, you go to a church in Pasadena. Yes, you do this. But yes. you need to honor the locals. Sure. And this gentleman said, yes, okay, I will honor the locals. Can you set up some appointments with me? So I started setting up some appointments with him. And, you know, so it's like I'm believing that God's going to use this new infusion of energy to partner with this old guy who's been doing stuff for 20 years. And God's going to do something new that we never saw before. Yes, he will. You know, because he cares about these young black and brown kids yeah. in northwest Pasadena who need some hope, some help, some direction. And You're about to see God do something new, like you said. <laughs> so Hallelujah! That's so Glory! Cool, Bless his name! So, so here's what I'd like to ask you to do as we wrap up. I want to ask you to pray. And would you pray for those who, who hear your story and have the experience that, that things are too big and, and things don't change and God doesn't answer those prayers? Would you pray for, for people to, uh, to reconsider hope in Christ mm -hmm. and reconsider how big God can be? Sure. Father, I come to you this uh, morning with that song from InterVarsity Days ringing in my ears. How good is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend, whose love is as great as his power and knows neither measure nor end. As Matt and I sit here, Lord, I'm reminded that your love and your power hasn't found an end yet in my life. And no matter the challenges, no matter the situations, no matter how bleak things seemed, you did then and you are doing now and you will do in the days ahead more than I can imagine. In one sense, more than I can ask or think. So I just thank you, God, for being the one who doesn't break a bruised reed. You don't extinguish a smoldering reed, uh, Wick. Wick. And you take situations that look like they're hopeless, like you took Lazarus, who was thinking, and you demonstrated that you are the resurrection and the life. Amen. And there are so many situations in our own personal lives, and in our society as a, as a nation, that stink. Mm. 
and yet you've shown yourself to be the resurrection and the life. And all the way through my experiences, I've seen that. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who have given up hope, who've gotten angry at God like Lazarus' siblings did. If you only came in time! Mm. But when you came, you were right on time, as they say. Thank you, Lord. And you showed that you were able to bring life out of death. And I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to bring life out of death in, a lot, in the situations and circumstances of all those who hear this broadcast, this podcast. And I especially pray, Father, that you would bring new life out of the stinky stuff going on in American life today, in American communities, so that men and women can see that you truly are a big God. You truly are the resurrection and the life, and that we can trust you no matter how things look. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Paul. You are such a gift to me. <laughs> I'm so grateful for you. For oh, thank you. you live. Thanks for sharing your story. You're welcome. Thank you. You're a gift to me, Matt Price. And I mean that. Thanks. Every life tells a story. People's stories never get old. Thanks for listening. I want to encourage you to share this episode with someone who you know needs their understanding of God's love to be shaped by a story like Paul's. Until next time, it's been great to be with you. <laughs>